0: Greetings, everybody. This is Tim Spivey. Welcome to the podcast. One of my favorite podcasts, and actually, it's a series of podcasts, is called Optimal. And then there's Finance Daily, there's Business Daily, there's Productivity Daily, there's Living Daily, all of these different podcasts. And all they do is go find quality blog posts on certain subjects and then read them in hopefully in an intelligible way that allows you to benefit from the content. Of those podcasts. And in this season that we're in, I thought to just get us started with this particular podcast, which is an effort just to provide some extra content for you guys as we're going through and we're all maybe sitting at home a little bit more than before, or we're stuck in our cars, that we could provide some uh, leadership training, some spiritual content to help you continue to grow in Christ and grow in your leadership while we're in this very, very interesting time. So, what you're going to hear is me reading for. Uh, excerpts from things that I have written in the past and going on and going forward, you will see um, original content and other things uh, coming your way that will have to do with leadership. Sometimes I might have a guest on, sometimes uh, you might hear clips from old talks I've given or things like that. But the basic design of this is just trying to say, hey, we're in this together. We want to see you grow. We want to see you continue to thrive in Jesus. So uh, I'm going to begin with this one, which is called Too Busy to be Prayed For. And I hope uh, you'll get the message of this and take it to heart. I need all the prayers I can get. All of us do. Someday, I'd love it if the Lord gave me a glimpse of how much of the blessings in my life were the results of answered prayers of his people. I try to lift others up in prayer regularly. I believe in the power of prayer in their lives as much as my own, and I figure that if I can use prayer, So can they. When somebody says, how can I pray for you? Or like one very close brother in the Lord texts me nearly every week, I'm praying for you today. Any requests? I'm honored he would take the time and regularly offer prayers up on my behalf. His own faithfulness in praying for me has been an example and on several occasions his texts soliciting prayer requests have spurred me to stop whatever I'm doing and do the same for others right then. Which is why I was so disappointed in myself last week when I received his text. Here's the actual text sequence with dates and times. I'll refer to him affectionately as Prayer Warrior X. Prayer Warrior X. Texts, March 27th, 7.57 a.m. I'm praying for you today. Any requests? Me, 8.36 a.m. So that's 39 minutes later. Yes, driving. We'll text soon. Don't judge me for texting while I was driving. At least I was quick. Prayer Warrior X, March 28th, 7.05 a.m. Hit me with your request when you get a chance. Me, March 28th, 7.13 a.m. So I send him a prayer list in very short phrases, the length of half a paragraph or so. I knew what the requests were immediately and typed them out in 30 to 45 seconds. But did you notice what I did? On March 27th, I was literally too busy to be prayed for. It absolutely slipped my mind to text my friend back and or I didn't have the time. I can make all the excuses I want. At the time, Emily was out of the country for two weeks and I was temporarily a single dad of three young daughters while trying to pastor a new and growing church while coaching two softball teams during rain out makeup week as best I could with a broken big toe. Blah, 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 blah. The reality was I wasn't just too busy to pray for myself and others that day, I was too busy to be prayed for. Or at least I thought I was. It's quite unlike me and something that startled me when it happened. When I got the reminder text, that caused me to pause and say, whoa there. I mean, it's one thing to struggle to find windows for prayer during busy seasons. It's another to go so fast you don't even afford other people the time to pray for you. And of course, it's during those seasons that we actually need it the most. I was so preoccupied, I didn't do what I've done the last several busy seasons, which was to ask three or four people in advance of that busy season to pray for me each day during the time that Emily was away. Then when a close friend offered, I actually forgot. It was a most excellent wake-up call, an opportunity to repent. I adjusted course from that text forward. It reminded me of spiritual direction John Ortberg received from Dallas Willard at some crucial point in his life, when Willard told him, "'You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life.'" Maybe I need to start doing that. Maybe you do too. Perhaps you can learn from my mistake. Sometimes it's pride that allows us to go along thinking we don't need prayer very much. Sometimes it's misplaced priorities. A lot of the time, it's not intentional at all. It just happens. But that's the problem. It just happens that we stop praying or praying for others during seasons when we need it the most. So don't be afraid to ask for prayer from people you know will do it. Don't be afraid to ask someone if you can pray for them. This is true ministry. I praise God for my brother who texted me back because the truth was, I needed the prayers badly and just as much I needed the reminder that I ought not ever be too busy to pray for. The next one's called no fighting on Everest. A few years ago, I was struck by a news story reporting a fight near the top of Mount Everest between climbers and their Nepalese Sherpas, a brawl at more than 25,000 feet close to the summit. The summit, by the way, is 29,029 feet. I thought to myself, you have got to be kidding me. I've hiked Mount Whitney before, and I know what conditions are like at around 14,500 feet, and the thought of doing that on Mount Everest is almost nauseating. Even worse, the thought of hikers brawling with the smartest, most experienced, most resourceful hikers on the mountain, those present only to help them, is utterly ridiculous. One would think the conditions alone would bring everybody together. One would think Cooler heads would prevail and perspective would be maintained when it's a matter of life and death. Nope. When the flesh takes over, we sometimes forget who we are, where we are and what we're doing. And as ridiculous as it sounds, I've seen church leadership teams behave just as insanely. I've seen church leadership teams risk the church's future by fighting in the midst of challenges that demand teamwork and sacrifice from everybody involved. It's when everything is going well, or when the church is in the midst of major transition or God challenge, that Satan often creates a dust-up when the most damage can happen. Rather than recognize the stakes and the spiritual warfare at play, the flesh takes over. People get hurt, and often the congregation gets the emotional or financial bill for years to come. It's often on Everest that churches begin to die. And I'll say again, there is more fighting in the flatlands. Churches not trekking anywhere fight over the leftover grits and water. However, churches fighting on Everest are risking death and the well-being of all who depend on them. They are tempting God who called them to that journey. When you fight when stakes are that high, it betrays three things. Number one, a lack of reverence for the mountain you're climbing. Number two, a lack of regard for the life and well-being of one another. Number three, a lack of regard for those below impacted by the fight. Whenever the church is really heading somewhere risky, resolve that there be no fighting on Everest. Don't avoid discussing things passionately or dealing with things that have to be dealt with. After all, no one gets to the top of Everest without some adverse weather. However, do not make your own adverse conditions, and remember getting to the top makes a lot of petty disagreements disappear. If you still have them after you get to the top, Talk about them when you get back down, because fighting on Everest is a foolish game for those who don't realize how fragile we are at higher elevations. The answer is not to stay in the flatlands and avoid the trek. After all, we're called to pilgrimage, but the answer is trekking in a way that honors God in all conditions. When the tempter dares us at 29,000 feet, we recognize it for what it is and refuse to put ourselves and our fellow hikers and the well-being of those God has put under our spiritual care at risk. Hike wisely. My friends. Next up, there's a good question. Do you believe in those you're leading? People are led best by people who believe in them. If people sense we don't like them, we think they maybe aren't that bright or maybe they're hopeless. If we think that's who they are, we'll never be able to lead them effectively. True. There are some dysfunctional relationships out there in which people lead through violence or emotional abuse or fear, but that's not biblical leadership, which is rooted in love and oriented toward hope. People can sense how we are toward them. The R's in quotes. People can sense how we are toward them. If we are frustrated by our inability to lead someone or a group of people that need our insights to brighten their darkness, we probably don't need to look any further for the reason. The reason is probably us. One of the reasons I love preaching where I do is because I believe I'm preaching to people God is doing something great in, and I believe that even on days that it is not terribly obvious. Even in the darker times, I try never to lose hope in what God can do in them. I believe totally in God's work in our people, and I want that to be genuine, and I want that to be palpable to them. One of my favorite leadership books is called Leadership and Self-Deception, and the writer notes in there, he says, No matter what we're doing on the outside, people respond primarily to how we're feeling about them on the inside. And how we're feeling about them depends on whether we're in or out of the box concerning them. I want to read that again. No matter what we're doing on the outside, people respond primarily to how we're feeling about them on the inside. And how we're feeling about them depends on whether we are in or out of the box concerning them. Now, the box is a way of referring to one's view of another that is fixed to aggrandize one's own virtues and faults, uh, or you aggrandize the faults of others while minimizing your own. We can't lead those that we believe aren't worthy of it. We can't lead those who we think can't succeed without it. Our attitude will then have already doomed our leadership to struggle. In general, our ability to lead others is directly proportionate to how we are toward them. I'm going to say that again. In general, our ability to lead others is directly proportionate to how we are toward them. The more we believe in them, the more we'll find they believe in us. Believe in what God can do in them and through them first. Then lead. And only then. Lastly, this one's called the Monday Rule. The simple implementation of the Monday Rule can change the climate of your church for the better significantly. New Vintage Church has worked unofficially at creating a quote-unquote Monday rule culture. We've never stated it officially, but it is understood by most of our people nonetheless because we have encouraged it from our beginning. Staff abides by it as well. It's never been stated explicitly, but we do coach it as we can. It's the Monday rule, which might be stated this way. If you have concerns or feel the need to complain, do it Monday or another day of your choice. Please don't do it Sunday or when the church is gathered for worship. So I'm going to say that again. Here's the Monday rule. It could be stated this way. If you have concerns or feel the need to complain, do it Monday or the day of your choice. But please don't do it Sunday when the church is gathered for worship. So to clarify, I'm not saying people should never complain or never should voice concerns. I am saying there is a time and a place for it, and that's not Sunday mornings during or around the time that the church is gathered for worship. What we're doing when the church gathers is cherished by God and important for the building up of the body and calling our church to mission. Every Sunday, we have guests come searching for God, not a solution to the complaints of Sister Sue or Brother Bill. The body, of course, needs strengthening and encouragement as well. The body needs her mission clarified and her calling reinvigorated. She needs to hear from God, and that's what the weekends are for. One of the greatest services leadership can provide the church is effective handling of the church's concerns, which includes the timing of such dealings, not just making sure they're heard. Implementing the Monday rule will do more for your church's weekend assemblies than nearly anything. It keeps the air inside fresh. It honors God over our temporary concerns, In various times and places, a couple of assumptions can be made reasonably about people who complain chronically on Sundays. First, they lack a sense of the impact of their comments on others, especially staff or others whose spiritual frame of heart impacts others that day. Two, they lack spiritual focus during times that are unique in the practice of the church and their complaining will spread across this body if it's not checked. Three. They likely do this because of proximity. They want to get it dealt with right then because it could consume their time and energy to do it another time. So they prefer to use yours on their terms rather than deal with the problem another way. Implementing the Monday rule shepherds a person person on all three fronts and it accomplishes the following as well. First, it keeps God at the center. It's easy to allow a concern to become the predominant factor of the morning in your heart or the heart of the person you jabbed with it. All days belong to God, but Sundays are different. Sundays are a little bit more special. It's when his people gather together for a unique time of honoring him. If the music is too loud for you, that's not the most important thing going that morning. If you think the youth minister shouldn't wear shorts to church, that can wait till Monday. Don't let that consume your mind or the minds of others for the morning. Keep God at the center. After all, that's why everybody's there. Number two, it protects the church's worship experience. Our sacrifice of praise, if it's to be pleasing to God, must rise before him in unity and love. We must cherish not only our time together, but the gift of joy, peace, and love it brings with it. I'm not suggesting people who complain are intentionally trying to hurt the unity of the church. I'm saying that I don't bring up our income taxes or any issues I have with my wife on date night. There's a time for everything. So if you have concerns, Sunday morning at 10 a.m., right as church is starting, isn't it? Number three. It protects first-time or short-time guests from overhearing complaints or breathing in the foul air of dissension on a morning where unity, love, and passion for God should be most evident. Some time ago, I had to remove a pair of greeters, the kind of people you know that hand you a bulletin and say hi as you arrive, those, those folks, the people that are supposed to smile and be warm and welcome you. I had to remove a pair of greeters before church because they were griping loudly about a perceived lack of cleanliness of the facility as people arrived for worship. People arriving actually had to walk between them to get on site. They were so loud and not ignorable to everyone arriving. I warned them kindly but firmly. They wouldn't stop, so we replaced them. They later apologized and both went on to become excellent greeters. Number four, it preserves the staff's focus and frame of heart for the morning. When the preacher, worship leader, elder, whomever is pulled off focus, or newly discouraged from a complaint session, whether it's a gentle one or a very coarse complaint session, the impact will be felt. You would be amazed at the things that people will say to preachers right before they preach, worship leaders right before they hit the first strum or hum. If you have a complaint, you should know that you are highly unlikely to get a good hearing for your complaint on Sunday anyway. It would be much, much better to wait until people aren't rushing around and can actually listen. Number five, it helps people vet their complaints and thus helps people control their emotions and tongues. The Monday rule does that. Some people feel as though it's a virtue to say whatever's on their mind right then. It's really not. Saying what's on your mind is a virtue when you really need to do it, but that's not usually Sundays. If you're still mad about it on Monday, reach out. That'll let you know whether or not it actually really bothered you and it will respect the church's gatherings. Don't take hostages on Sunday morning. No drive-by or hit-and-run verbal attacks that discourage others. Half of complaints would never be uttered if people weren't able to do it on Sundays. So imagine what Sundays could be like if the church, from leaders to guests, could punt concerns until Monday, focusing instead on encouragement and welcoming the outsider. What a difference that would make in our weekend gatherings. Concerns aren't unimportant, but sometimes they just aren't that important. Well, I hope you've enjoyed our first installment. Again, next week, I don't know what we have in store for you just yet, but I hope that you've been encouraged to think about leadership in some different ways, and uh, whether it's thinking about whether or not you're too busy to be prayed for or whether or not uh, some of the people you know might be in need of prayer and showing you signs that they're too busy to be prayed for, just go ahead and pray for them anyway. That it's smart not to fight on Everest. That's kind of dumb. Uh, it's spiritually stupid uh, to use that language that the Monday rule can do something in your church that will help you an awful lot in terms of your ability to um, move forward and uh, not have this kind of low grade fever of discouragement on the weekends. And that it's important that we believe in the people that we're trying to lead because ultimately our proportion, our, our leadership of people is going to be proportionate to how we, quote unquote, are toward them. If they know that you don't believe in them, if they think that you think that they are bad people or they're malcontented or they are this, that, or the other, they're not going to want to go anywhere with you. I wouldn't want to follow a person like that either. So be encouraging. Wait till Monday. Don't fight on Everest and we should never, ever, ever be too busy to be prayed for. God bless you. Have a great week.